I'm Dylan. And I'm Keon. And this is Zenithet Podcast, where we need to kill her ourselves, because this week we watched Traitor. By Robert Holmes. Directed by David Sullivan Proudfront. <laughs> <laughs> and aired on October 12th, 1981. That's gotta be a pseudonym, you know? No, I don't think it is. I, I checked his page. I don't think it is. Uh, I don't think I quite nailed the delivery of that like Paul Darrow did later in this episode. No, no. I mean, I don't think anyone can really can really deliver that line as Paul Darrow does in the episode. Paul Darrow has quite a few moments like that in this episode. Hang on. I just got to take out my notes for this episode, even though, really, who took notes on this? I'm just going to say notes. right off the bat that I found this episode rather boring. Yeah, we should just preface this entire thing. I think this is the worst episode of Blake 7. So if you don't want to hear hear us like rail into this episode, just don't listen. Well, further. I wouldn't go. I wouldn't go that far. Oh, I would. And this also, I'm gonna like preface this by saying that I found Volcano extremely boring, but I learned my lesson from Volcano, and I actually tried to pay attention to this episode, unlike Volcano. So I actually did pay attention to this, even though the whole time I was like trying to claw my eyes out I because mean, I was so bored. Yeah, I, I tried to pay attention as I always do, and and as I usually do, but this episode wasn't giving me much to pay attention to. Well, I think there are a lot of cool concepts in this episode. I think they're wrapped up in a really, really boring plot. And not only is it boring, I think it's it's predictable. And I think it's just like really unengaging. But I do think there are things in this episode that I think are pretty interesting that would have been really good in a better script. There's like one thing that I thought was cool from this. Well... (laughs) Let's explain the plot, and I'll bring up the things that I think are pretty interesting when they come up, sure. I think. In regards to Doctor Who, we're still, I believe, in the interseason era. Before series, what is it, 19 airs. Yeah. And I, mean, I'm not, I don't know. No, I'm not, I, I don't know. I'm just saying, yeah. Yeah, so. no, yeah, we are. Uh, interestingly enough, episode that's really boring, coming third in the season again, like Volcano. <laughs> Yeah, that is interesting. You know, coming right after an episode with power in the title. (laughs) We're really stretching these connections (laughs) to some extent, but I'm okay with it. I'll let it slide. All right, so the episode begins with this interrogation, actually, between this Federation captain whose name I have no idea. Good luck with the names. I knew uh, Hunda. I knew Hunda. Sleer was obviously Servland from the moment her voice showed up. I knew Lights. And I knew Slew. It should just all been like lights, camera, action. See, lights I really <laughs> thought was actually spelled L-I-G-H-T-S. Turns out it's L-E-I-T-Z. L-E-I. Wow. <laughs> T-C or T-Z? Z. Huh. All right. So it begins this interrogation uh, by Hunda, I think. No, of Hunda. Of Hunda. Of Hunda, Hunda. Hunda is one of the rebels. So this whole situation is is a little Terry Nation-esque. I struggled for our segment, how would this episode be different if Terry Nation wrote it? Uh, because a lot of this is kind of just out of the Terry Nation handbook, I feel like. I agree, and we'll talk about that later on. But there are some things that I feel like could be slightly different that would make it more Terry Nation-esque, but not a lot. Uh, I'm just looking up the name of the planet that they're on <laughs> because I don't remember that either. Helitrix. Helitrix, right. And they're uh, helots. Yeah. Which is interesting. <laughs> No, but um, I mean, this is written by Robert Holmes, who's sort of from Bob the same. Holmes. He's sort of sort of from the same era as Terry. He's Nation. cut sort from of, the same cloth, right? Sort of an old older school writer, at least older from a different sort of group than Chris Boucher or Boucher, I guess, is how Making Blake's how John pronounced it. So maybe maybe we've been saying it wrong this whole time. Well, well, you can really pronounce names however you want. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, kind of like how I called Jeffrey Beavers Joffrey Beavers for like two episodes. That was solid. Really? I don't remember that. But all right. You don't remember that? Nope. Jeffrey. All right. Um, so, gosh. They, they interrogate Hunda, like, this guy, Hunda. somehow. I forget how. They let him go because this is the thing. They're interrogating this guy, Hunda, and he reveals like, oh, he he used to be part of this resistance school movement. oh school and he's part of a resistance group now but he used to be part of the school because they want to get to this other guy and they're like you civilians give yourself such dumb names when you form resistance like star major and he's like so what about the star major whatever his name was like 
who was he before the revolution? He's like, oh, he was like a teacher at the school. And he's like, oh, so what were you? And he's like, oh, I was like the head of the biological. I was the head of the, the archaeology division or something like that. And they're like, oh, and he's like. I don't remember any of this. No, remember this? Because this, when I watched this, I was like, man, this is going to be such a cool episode. Because he's like, yeah, because we had this plan where we were going to like, we were investigating how low the flood levels had had receded and he's like oh well, why were you doing that and he's like oh because we wanted to tunnel you know under the city but they're all fl- the the tunnels are all flooded we wanted to tunnel under the city and then blow it up from underneath again this is all terry nation-esque stuff city infiltration uh you know some you know ecological work and stuff like that yeah. or environmental work and the guy's like well you're free to go and he leaves and then we cut to scorpio and this is when the story immediately started to go downhill for me because the very first thing they, they're talking about is the Federation again. And they're like, man, the Federation is like growing in size to be really big. We've got to stop them. We've got to stop them. The Federation's man. always a pain in the neck. <laughs> or X, like, they just took over the planet Helltrix and Avon's like, damn, the Federation's getting too big. We've got to be the old crew that we used to be and like take them down and i'm like oh so, really i mean this is really out of left field because series c never even played it up this much in fact as series c went on they drifted away from this and we even like get a mention of blake at some point in the middle yeah. of the story villa's like man you know this is exactly what blake would do and avon's like yeah well blake wasn't the smartest of people and i'm like are One you th- are you insulting yourself with that statement are you What's going yeah, on? I do remember. Was what was the last um, episode that that Robert Holmes wrote? It was in like Series B or something. Wasn't I think it? it was in Series B. I don't think he. Yeah, it was Gambit. Gambit. And he yeah, wrote Killer. So, Killer was pretty good. Which one was Killer again? That was the one with Emma Pack. Oh yeah, that one was good. <laughs> Great, even. That uh, had Serverland laughing as she yeah. shot people in the back. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I don't know. Maybe this is just the result of like Robert Holmes. I don't know why I'm pinning this so much on Robert Holmes when it could easily be any number of other people. In fact, probably was just a combination of of uh, of things resulting in a, in a not as good episode. But I don't know. Maybe there's just this disconnect between where Blake 7 is now and where it was in Series B, you know? Maybe. Maybe he just hadn't followed story too much i really hope this isn't indicative of where series d is going i don't think so and most of the things um i've heard about series d is like you know there are a couple bad episodes at the beginning of it but once it hits that mid-season mark or maybe even a little earlier than that you get some of the best episodes of blake seven ever that's good i mean again i don't really think this is like the worst episode ever made but i just find it boring which which do you think because i do i think this is the worst episode that we've seen so far so what do you think is worse than this I mean, I definitely put Volcano down there. You put Orac better than, or, or yeah, I I think I put Orac below this, if only because I think I like the concepts in this more than I like the concepts in Orac. I think this and Orac are very similar in that they're both really boring plot lines with really predictable kind of actions from literally everyone. And just like just being really uninteresting, but I do like some of the things they bring up in the story a little bit more than I do in Orac. Huh, that's that's interesting. Because like I think I think this this. whole idea of like futuristic archaeology I think is really cool. Like it's something that I always think about, like what would archaeology look like in the future, right? Like how Yeah, uh, you know it's an interesting concept. Like uncovering things that we have today and looking at them as as ancient relics. Right. Which they like They've touched on on Blake 7 before, too. Yeah, on the Keeper, kind of. With the Keeper and also with... I'm trying to remember what it's called now. Uh, It was in Series B. There was the tribe of people, and they all wore purple, and the leader was like a puppet leader. Ah, shit. Horizon? Yeah, Horizon. Was it Horizon? The one where they're like all... Each of them teleports down individually and immediately gets captured. Yeah, that was Horizon. Horizon. That wasn't Earth. That wasn't on Earth, though. Was that, that wasn't on Earth, but there was like, you know, the people were like digging things up and there was this culture that they had like were trying to revive or whatever. Anyway. Sort of. They just kind of touched upon it barely, but like. And, and that's the same here. They just kind of touch on it barely. Yeah. Yeah. But they do bring back this idea of like the tunnels and the lake later on. Right. Which is a Terry Nation infiltration thing. Like, <laughs> I get into the city with the tunnels and the lake. And yeah, it's very Genesis of the Daleks, actually. Very the Daleks, actually. 
Yeah, because the Daleks, they infiltrate... Well, the Daleks, they just straight infiltrate the city. But, like, in Genesis, there was, like, the whole tunnels between the Thal encampment and the Dalek city that they went through. But, like, Harry Sullivan went over and, you know. That's actually interesting that we bring that up because I've actually... That's actually something I've been thinking about lately is... Because we just rewatched... Not just, but a month or two ago, rewatched the Daleks for a Doctor Who podcast because we wanted to revisit some early episodes. But I was... I noticed... And thinking about it over the past couple of weeks, I've noticed like a lot of similarities between the Daleks and Genesis of the Daleks to the point where Genesis almost seems like sort of a remake. Well, that didn't we talk about that in our Genesis of the Daleks episode? Like, I, that was years ago. I don't remember. I feel like we did how we talked about there were a lot of similarities with the Daleks and how Terry Nation like wanted to do the Daleks, but better and different. And that's why he introduced Davros and... I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. I don't remember. We talked about that before. Yeah, I guess I forgot, and maybe I'm just reviving those memories, like ancient relics of the past. <laughs> or you might say, like a like an archaeologist. No, I was gonna say like like a voice from the past. <laughs> oh god! <laughs> I could always just re-listen to the episode. Yeah. Well, anyway. Avon's like, we gotta go to, to Helatrix. Because I have to kill her myself. No, no, he no. doesn't say it now, but I'm gonna just I'm just gonna intersperse that in the episode where it doesn't belong. And in other episodes where it doesn't belong. Get ready to hear that line for the rest of Zenith. Well, he decides they're going to Helatrix because they gotta figure out because there's like a whole bunch of planets that are falling to the Federation really easily. And he calls it an empire again, which I think is interesting. Yeah, I mean, and, and they discuss, I forget when this is, it's a, in a little bit, actually. The, some of the Federation officers are discuss, discussing Servalan's death. So it seems like things have really taken off once Servalan. Yeah, it turns out Servalan is... Uh, the only one holding them back. But then it turns out Servalan's still in command anyway, yep. so... Big twist, the, sorry, spoiler alert, I, I mean, guess. Right when the right when Sleer's voice, right when you hear Sleer's voice, it's very noticeably... Because it's it's a it's it's altered, mm-hmm. but if you've ever heard Jacqueline Pierce's voice, like that's her voice, it's not altered that much. Yeah, I think lights is like second in command. He reveals that like Commissioner Slayer is in charge of of this planet, and and there's someone visiting. Right, we've seen this a lot in Blake Seven. We saw it in Horizon. We also saw it mm-hmm. in that one episode. Of, uh, I think I was actually Seek Locate Destroy, where we see. In Servaland's introduction, she's having like dinner yeah. with these guys and whatever. Yeah, you know, people, visitors, sort of, who are in command and and assessing the situation. So I forget this guy's name, but he shows up. And he, he gets is, killed anyway. So and they all die. Well, this guy I think was supposed to be taking over command of this base. Was kind of the thing because they're like, oh, we haven't changed the office from like your predecessor yet, uh, but right. you're going to have control. This is a little bit later, but we're going to explain it now that this is when they reveal to this guy how they've been keeping the population subservient as they're using this drug that they invented on this planet called, I'm going to look it up, Pylene 50. Right. And this comes back in like what I thought was just the dumbest way possible. You know? Pylene 50. And they're like, if we do a super concentrated dose, because we've been seeing these shots of people like getting shot with lasers, like if we inject it with a laser or a super concentrated dosage, then it like removes or it blocks the production of adrenaline. So it basically stops people from revolting. Right. And the guy's like, oh, does it make it like more suggestible? And he's like, no, but like they won't revolt because they don't produce adrenaline. They're just kind of more docile. So it's easier to take over. Meanwhile, Honda has reconvened with the rebel group and they're going to enact this plan where he's going to be the only one to infiltrate and I forget exactly what he's going to do, but he's going to, like, lead the way for the rest of them or something. Yeah, but then they all get blown up sky high because it's also revealed at this moment they're like, we put a tracer in Honda and then we blew him up. And the guy's like, yeah, I saw that explosion when I was coming in. They're like, yeah, you saw us. We were using a live test subject for that. Oh, yeah. Okay, so not Honda. The guy who sort of leads them from then on is... Some, and this is it's like, like Honda's no, like second in command who looks exactly like Honda. Yeah, this is another name. Terry Nation thing. Hask. Right, Hask, where the characters look very similar and have a very similar name, right? I just got a conf- Honda and Hask confused, and they, they their design is is very similar. Yeah, Honda gets blown yeah. Kingdom Come yeah. Yeah, with his rebel group. That. Yep. <laughs> so Hask is actually the one who enacts this plan. I forget exactly what the plan is. Well, so the <laughs> plan doesn't so get... Engaging. The plan doesn't get enacted till Dana and Tarrant beam down. Right. And or I was they, thinking they, about no, they this. They sort of like meet halfway into the plan or something, like meet him. Well, no, they like, beam down with a separate plan and then Hask is like, hey, if you want to survive, come over here. Then, right. Then he, we only learn about the plan 
now when he explains it to Dana and Tarrant. I like the 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 combination of Dana and Tarrant again. You know, we I like it too, but it's <laughs> growing a little tiresome. No, I mean I I, I don't think so. I, I there's think, a lot of banter I, well, between them that I thought was good that I thought was one of the best parts of the episode. I mean I really wanted to see Sue Lin in action. That's true, yeah. We can talk about Sue Lin at the end because Because Sue Lin in this episode doesn't do anything. And like I know sometimes we say some characters don't do anything, but then we're kind of exaggerating. This is like a legitimate, she doesn't do anything. Well, this makes sense, and this is why I'm really glad John was on for Rescue of all episodes, um, because he really put into perspective for us, I think, Mm -hmm. for how Su Lin replaced Callie once they've realized that Callie was going to (laughs) die. Yeah, Uh, I mean, I think it's really obvious in the story how Su Lin is a replacement for Callie. I mean, if this was Callie... Would we really be calling this out to the extent that we are? Yeah, we'd say like, yeah, Callie didn't do anything. But we'd also, I think, say that's okay because Callie gets her own, has has had her right. own time to shine, you know? Right. I think th- I think it explains why Sulin doesn't do anything in this episode. I don't think it excuses and I think, in fact, makes it worse. Sure. But since we're talking about Sulin, you know, one of the things that John also mentioned is how Su Lin's hair is going to be different every week. And, you know, a segment uh, of, like, what, what's Su Lin's hair doing this week? So, I mean, we, can, we don't have to, like, in, I mean, we can. The that, great problem with that like, is that I'm not a cosmetologist, so you ask me what the hell's going on with her hair, and I'll be like, well, her hair is, like... I don't even describe it. I mean, we can, just, just, we can and... just describe it. Like, I mean, I'm not, I'm not uh, talking about going in-depth here on, like, hairstyling techniques, you know? <sighs> Just <laughs> a whole segment on how to style your hair like Su Lin this week. Is it Su Lin or is it Su Lin? It's one. It's like one word. It's S O O L I N. Yeah, but do you pronounce it like Su Lin or Su Lin? You know, she hasn't gotten enough screen time or mentions or name drops to for me to even know. And I'm sure all the characters will pronounce her name differently anyway. We also, As like John Avon. mentioned, actually, I want to bring this up. We get a scene nowish when they teleport down. Avon reveals that Orak is trying to make the ship quicker because there's like jump boosters for when you're in the atmosphere and they're like trying to wire them into the main boosters. But anyway, Paul Darrow or Avon makes a specific point of calling Orak it when Sulin refers to it as a he. He's like, he likes to slack off. And and then Avon says the only thing it has in common with humans is that it doesn't like to do work. Yeah. Then he asks Orak, and Orak's like, I delegated the problem to (laughs) to computers specializing in engineering of this spaceship. Slave also gets his slash its time to shine in this episode. Right about now, Scorpio gets spotted in what I think is a really, I thought was like a really cool scene that would have been way cooler in an episode, (laughs) in another episode, where they're like, the people on the planet I guess one of the computers, you know, I didn't really get the exact specifics of this, but I guess one of the computers Orak asked for information about Scorpio was the computer on the planet Helitrix, or they discovered that Orak had infiltrated their system somehow because they were investigating. And there's this, the screen just pops up the name Orak, and then it just starts popping up quicker yeah. and quicker, and it's like Orak, Orak, Orak. And I thought that was like really cool because it's like this, ah, it reminded me of a scene that I've seen before somewhere else. And now I'm completely blanking the on Matrix. it. The Matrix. No, I don't know. Oh, it's Chuck. There was a scene in series one where, no, it was in series season four where Chuck pretends to be this guy, Orion, to freak out the main villain. And that's like the bare minimum you need to know for this. But he like <laughs> hacks into the computer and the guy's like, who's doing this? And it just says Orion once. And then it starts to pop in quicker and quicker and quicker. And as it's popping in quicker, the guy's like, no, Orion's dead. No, no. <laughs> anyway, I just thought that was a really, this was a really cool scene that could have been really interesting because it like shows or at least implies that Orac is like this big villain to these Federation guys. Like they're scared of Orac because the computer like freaks out like, oh shit, Orac's in the system. <laughs> these people are like, it's oh Orac. shit, it's Orac. Which I think could have been like, I think that could have been really cool if, like, this episode was, like, about how these people have all these computers, but they're afraid to use them because of ORAC. Like, I think... Maybe. It could be real, it could have been really a- interesting. Like, Serverland knows how ORAC works and is linked to all the Federation computers. So maybe, it's like, an episode where Serverland's, like, really scared to use her computer because, like, ORAC is hooked into the computer. You also got to wonder, you know, 
ORAC is a pretty big secret. Who, who, how many people know about ORAC and stuff like mm-hmm. that? So yeah, that could be know. the other thing is like these people are seeing this name ORAC popping up on the screen. Like I think it'd be really cool if these guys are like, "What's ORAC?" and like, yeah. "Why sure. is the computer freaking out?" I don't know. Sure. I mean, I, I I wasn't like drawn to this scene as much as you were. I didn't really care about it. <laughs> but yeah, I guess there's potential for for other cool things to stem I mean, from this. That was this the scene. other thing is that there were a lot of cool things in the story that I liked, but the plot was just so boring and uninteresting that it like masked all these things. Yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's I think it's pretty obvious so far that I don't really remember as much as I should about this episode, but like it seems to me that each scene in this episode, maybe not each scene, but it's several scenes in this episode were like, oh, the plot's going to go this way or like thematically it's going to go this way and that's going to be really cool. And the next scene you're like, oh, it's it's not. And then, oh, it's going to go this way and that's going to be really awesome. But then it just like never really takes any of those branches. It just takes the branch of like... Most like, predictability. Yeah. And I mean, like when you find out why this is called Traitor, when you find out who the Traitor is, <laughs> it's like, done in like like the lamest way of just like... A double agent, you know? <sighs> well. And we find that out pretty soon. Cause, I think it's um, about now. Because Dana think... Tarrant and Hask Ask. convene with lights. Because they're like, oh, we're going to meet a Federation contact. And it's revealed to be lights. Right. And, you, uh, yeah. and then I think in and the... You're ve- like, okay, lights is the traitor. Yeah, so you find out lights is the traitor. But then in the very next scene, lights reveals... To I think Slayer, but like he's a double agent. He's a double double, double agent. agent? He's like a tri- triple agent. Because <laughs> he's like, oh yeah. Agent? By the way, I'm a double agent, and I've been telling them all our secrets. And they're like, you're a double agent. He's like, yeah, but I'm telling you now, which makes me kind of like a double double agent. And they're like, yeah, I guess that I guess that makes sense. <laughs> he's just he's some agent, you know. He's, he's just, just a free agent, really. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, essentially, like, yeah. Which, when you really think about it, like, Serverland's done this before herself, so... And does it in this episode, really, at the end. Yeah, and that's something I want to talk about now. What would Terry Nation do differently in this story? Oh, you think he wouldn't have Serverland kill? I think he would have... Uh, Well, I want to say this for later, but... And I'll talk about this later. Save it for later. But then Dana and Tarrant get a call from the Scorpio. There's, like, this other subplot where, like, the teleporter bracelets aren't working but they immediately resolve it because Orac just fixes it well no it's they there is and the audio some, is not transmitting they need some reason that they wouldn't just contact them and like just explain everything and be like hey can, can we just beam us up and like carpet bomb this place <laughs> yeah the Which, like audio transmission just, isn't just, working yeah and, if they just ignored that like nobody would question like why aren't you just freaking bombing this place like wouldn't even come up. And the other thing is that Scorpio was like a salvage ship. So. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. And they should, they, I don't know, like, what's... I doubt this is going to happen, but they should, like, weaponize Scorpio as the series goes on. Well, they seem to be going that way because Avon talks about trying to make the ship quicker in this episode so it moves faster. I'm sure that's going to get dropped, like, next episode and never come up again. You think? I think that that was... I think that line was included specifically by Chris... And I think the reason really? I think huh. I think that line was put in there so that later on when they like ignore the travel times between places, that they can be like, oh well, we made the ship quicker. So like, all right, well that in itself is lame, but the weaponization I'm talking about is like heavy arms. <laughs> Somehow I don't think that's gonna happen. <laughs> I can just install cannons like on the side or something. I don't think that's gonna happen. Yeah, somehow. I don't think it's gonna happen either. When they get the audio system back up and running, Avon calls down. He's like, yo, guys, uh, we've been spotted. Can you beam up? And they're like, no, we got to do this. And Avon's Ourselves. like, why? <laughs> we can just leave. And they're like, but you're the one who wanted to find out why the Federation is doing this. We haven't figured it out yet. So call back. I think even Tanit does this thing. Sulin's like. In her one line of the episode. She's like, hey. We've been spotted, and then you got to beam up right now, and Tan goes, sorry, not receiving you very well, Sulin, sorry. Just takes the bracelet off. just left them. <laughs> Avon was going to. Yeah, he was. Yeah, Avon is going a little bit. He is, and th- no, I mean, this episode is the one that really drives Megal- it home. Megalomaniacal? Is that how you sure. is that the word? Sure, uh, I guess. You know, in, in Rescue and um, Power... We didn't really see it to this extent. Like, we thought we saw it, but we didn't see it to this extent. This I is love the one. it, though. I don't know. I don't really. And it's mostly in 
Paul Darrow's delivery, especially in the I need to kill her myself, you know? Okay, that line was bad. Well, not... The, that line the was delivery was bad. Yeah, like, the delivery was weird. It's not a great, like... I mean, I don't think it's necessarily, like, a bad line. Like his, No, I, but and I think it could be delivered, like, really well if you yeah. just went, oh, I need to kill her myself, or, like, I need I mean, to... I, like, I, like, emphasis on the need, like, I need to kill her myself. It's but also, the way he delivers it is, I need... To kill her myself. It's not even myself. It's myself. <laughs> I think we're exaggerating it a little bit for comic oh, yeah. effect. Yeah, we are. <laughs> Comedic effect. Like how on um, Trust Your Doctor, you know, initially it was Nissa, and then like a few weeks later it was Nissa. <laughs> and then by the end it was Nissa. <laughs> Anyway, they decide to go find out what the hell's up with this Pyrene 50. Pyleen 50, sorry, my bad. And so Dana and Tarrant go and they meet <laughs> this was this crazed scientist in a wheelchair. No, this okay, is very tailation. Yeah, it is. No, hear me this out on this. This is very Davos, actually. Hear me out on this. This made me, I didn't like this, but this made me realize something that I actually really do like about Blake 7 that I never really thought about until now is that Blake 7 because Pyrene is supposed to be uh, sorry Pyrene is supposed to be affecting the entire population of this planet right and we never see that and most Blake 7 episodes do this we get a very small view of what's going on even when things are supposed to be affecting large cities and large colonies we get maybe just a base or like a hideout or something Mm -hmm. and I think that contributes to like the bleak feeling of Blake 7 right yeah. I mean, things feel very industrial. They feel very small scale, like entire populations are being controlled by f- very few people with very consolidated power. And I think that works really well to the series advantage, not just not series D, but just Blake 7 overall. And I really like that looking back. I think it's done well here, actually, too, you know, where we yeah. just get this sort of crazed scientist who is affecting this entire population who we never really sort of see except you know, the thing kn- was he was like he didn't want to he's like no, he's he being forced against his will because he invented the drug pyline 50 he said like it it cured something there was some like beneficial use for it but they like totally twisted that and used yeah. it against everyone i forget exactly right. what it was and so he's like well you know, I didn't want to do this. And then he's also like, I'm dying, by the way, and I need this drug to survive. And if I don't cooperate, they cut the drug off and then I die a little bit. Die a little bit? Well, yeah, because later on, Silverland's like, I'll cut your drugs off for three days. I should kill about 10% more of your body. Oh, yeah, she does say that. Maybe he's got that disease that kills you in like three <laughs> Ten days. Minutes. In Doctor Doc- 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 Who, if you're not in a hospital and you catch <laughs> it, you're basically doomed. <laughs> I it's mean, still the most absurd thing Doctor Who's ever introduced <laughs> is the disease that kills you in like 10 minutes. <laughs> and the guy who got it in the hospital. Um, I think that was us just speculating. But no, I mean, I think it's that like his body is deteriorating or like necrifying, whatever the term is. Yeah. I mean, this is another thing that I thought was really interesting. I mean, it's like Davros, but like the scientist who like just wanted to do good, but then the Federation came and like twisted it and used his research for evil. Like, I think that could be good if that was the main focus of the whole story. But this comes, Which, like, like, right at the end is just an explanation of how Dana and Tarrant get a drug that resists the effects of Pyeline 50. I, I mean, that, that was that was Ensor. That was um guy who created Pack. I'm forgetting his name. <laughs> yeah. In some, in some capacity, I mean. But both those people ran away from the Federation to get away from Hal them. This guy got caught. Well. Right. And, like, the forcing him to work for them and i think that's what makes this different and what makes this potentially no this opens more doors and makes it more interesting yeah for sure this is definitely different this guy is definitely uh i guess his heart is in the right place more than like we saw in weapon or orac where it's like you know well i mean Ensor just wanted to create like his life's work and Pack was a weapon like there's no other use for it other than being a weapon yeah like orac at least has like beneficial learning (laughs) capabilities and like Beneficial capabilities. Yeah. Imipack is just, it's just a weapon. There's no other use for me. I mean, you could, 
Yeah, I mean, there's, it there's does nothing bring, you can it, do with any pack other than kill someone. It, it does bring up this interesting someone. idea that the Federation seeks out these crazed scientists with crazed ideas, gives them a lot of money to develop these, these, I guess, technologies, and then uses them for evil. Yeah, it's it's like you know, and so with Orac, you know, they wanted the supercomputer that would help them control the galaxy. Imapac, you know, they wanted this weapon that would let them kill anyone from any distance, basically. Yeah, and I mean, the Federation already has, or has had, a lot of power, yet they're seeking out these very, like, niche things, right? I mean, it's interesting that the Federation is, like, built on these individual people, their con- contributions. Like, it, we're just basically stolen and appropriated. Right. Like, right now, they're conquering all these planets because they have Pylene 50, which takes away everybody's ability to produce adrenaline. And... It's like based if this one guy hadn't come up with that, then the whole empire doesn't exist as it does now. You know, same thing we can presume would have happened with Imapak and Orac. Like those would have completely changed the game, basically. Right, and you also maybe this is just me, but I also get the impression that if Pylene Fifty wasn't invented, if Imapak wasn't invented, or whatever, mm-hmm. like someone else would have invented something else that the Federation would have taken and used. So like, right. the, really. And this is really goes back to, and I think in a different way, because in Series C, I said Blake 7 was like the anti-science fiction, right? Or like at least anti-empirical mm-hmm. science where like observation is a big part of the game right. because of what Series C does with like observation. But like this also might have something to do with it, right? Of, of this thing of, of like progress is like no matter what we make, no matter what we do, it's going to get stolen by this galactic power. Yeah. Or stolen by these random nomads who come by and just <laughs> dick you over. Yeah. See Orac. Again, painting the picture of this bleak universe, which Which Blake great. Seven definitely is. It's great. That might that's another reason why we need to take a break after this. <laughs> Too bleak. <laughs> we'll have seeped ourselves in bleakness for a year at the end of this. Bleaks seven. <laughs> anyway, basically Dana and Tarrant, they take this drug that inhibits Pylene fifty and they invade the base and and take it over and they get the planet back. The reason why Avon was so interested in this planet was I think this is another really interesting thing that could have been interesting in another story. <laughs> he was like, the first time that the Federation conquered Helatrix, it took them three years or something like that. And then he's like, but they just did it in like a month right now. And he's like, huh. why did they fall so quickly right now? That was why he was interested because it took them so long to conquer Helatrix before. Did they ever answer that, or was it the pile? I don't remember. I mean, was it but the that, pileen? Well, they didn't answer. Well, yeah, it's the pileen is why they got it so quickly now, because it inhibited all their uh, adrenaline. Yeah. But I think it would have been interesting to see, like, you know, this is a people who, like, resisted the Federation for, like, quite a long time before finally giving in, which is in contrast to... A- I don't know if, like, three months isn't... Like, Horizon is, is still resisting in a way... I mean, I don't and remember the exact amount of time that volcano that Avon says, but it was like a non-trivial amount of time mm-hmm. before the Pylene Fifty, and that's why they're there now. There's also this line earlier on when, which I thought was just hilarious because they're like, I guess Robert Holmes was trying to build the sense of urgency, right? Because you know, Villa's like, oh, you, you know, we got to find out why they're capturing all these planets so quickly. They're going to come for us. I think Avon says that, and Villa says, yeah, if they continue at this rate, they'll come to us in a couple years. And I'm like, a couple years? You have years to figure this out. Why do you have to figure it out now? It was like a really failed attempt at trying to build a sense of urgency. It's like, it'll take a couple years for the Federation to catch us. And I'm like, what? Anyway. Is Scorpio still faster than Federation ships? I somehow I doubt know. that, I but like, so. is it? Well... If it wasn't before, it is now using all those <laughs> modifications that Avon made. Anyway, basically, they, the land. yeah, they storm the facility. If you couldn't already guess from like one, her voice, two, how they mentioned, like, yeah, Servaland's dead. There's, there's no way they're like looking at a picture of Servaland. They're like, there's no way she's, she's still alive. There's no way she's going to show up at the end of this episode. No, no, that's not going to happen. Yeah, Dane and Tarrant encounter Servaland. They beam up and they tell Avon about it, and that's when he says his line about killing her himself right. but before that there's actually a scene with Servland and the most crazy scientist where she just kills him 
And then I think Lights comes in and she just kills him too. Because she's like, oh, I've killed 20, 28 people now yeah, she, to keep my secret safe. She pretends like a portrait of Servland in the office too, by the right. way. Right. That's what they're looking at. Lights is, again, yeah, just a free agent because he tries to team up with Servland, who is, I guess, Sleer. I mean, like, she is Sleer, but like, he was working with, but now that she's Servalan, he's like also gonna form another. De- I don't like know what his game. I really think he is. already knew that she was Servalan. I wasn't sure. His dialogue seems to indicate that he already knew. Yeah. Well, anyway, they decide to uh, continue their alliance. She, they kiss each other, and Servalan stabs him in the back. A really poor stab, I might add. <laughs> Must be like a laser knife that like shot something into him because she just kind of taps him on the back of the spine. And he goes, Ah! Do we see it or was it? Yeah, we him? see it. Huh. Right. So then she says the line about having killed 28 people I think it was 28, 28 people now to keep her secret just like um, what's his name from Power huh there was like a dispute like I've killed 26 oh right but yeah Servaland is looking as flamboyant as ever she's sort of wearing this like black. crow feather like almost black guardian-esque <laughs> outfit she just needs is the crow hood crow feathers is what I thought of when I saw it yeah yeah that's the end of this, the episode I mean yep. we kind of glossed over it a little bit but Really, that's about all that happened. <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, you, you you bring up you brought up the plot a couple times, and it's just it's so straightforward. Mm-hmm. Which I think in a show that has been like built itself on having either two plots in every episode, like a a plot and a b plot, or plots that like odd, like don't have like twists in them, but are like unpredictable to an extent. I'd say I'd say twists. I'd say the ones that don't have an a and b plot typically do have like a pretty big twist. Yeah, that's okay. That's fair. And this one was just like really straightforward. Dane and Tarrant beam down, they blow up the base and they leave. That's like, that's it. There's the big reveal that, Ser- that the twist is supposed to be that Servaland's still alive, but it's just done really poorly. And yeah. that's where actually I want to talk about what I think would be different if Terry Nation did this, because Terry Nation would never pass up an opportunity to use Servaland to her fullest extent. And I think like first thing we find out is that Sleer is Servaland. I mean, they it's pretty obvious from the start, but I think the story is only marginally different in that we find out Servaland is alive like right from the start and I think possibly instead of Lights being the double agent, I think it's Servaland. How as would that Slayer, work? How would, how would that Slayer, work? As like communicating with these people through like oh, some yeah, communication yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. device. Servaland loved to get her hands dirty, especially in Terry Nation stories. Especially when it involved manipulating people as well. And I think... Really, I do think most of this actually is Terry Nation esque, like you said. And I, I, like to me, the only thing that I could see being different if if this was written by Terry Nation is that instead of Lights being the one who communicates with the with the Helots, it would be Servaland in her guise as Slayer. And I think we would find out that it was Servaland like pretty early in the episode because I think Terry Nation liked to use the fact that Servaland was in an episode as a hook, whereas other writers tended to try keep Servaland or Travis in the background until they were like really needed. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, I, I can see that. I mean, mine was, well, you know, wasn't that big of a difference either. I, I said that, you know, maybe Avon's dialogue and just the, not, yeah, I guess the dialogue in general, but particularly like you think of Terry Nation stories versus Chris Boucher's stories, which, you know, those mm-hmm. are the two most prominent Blake Seven writers. Right. And Avon is a lot of a bigger deal, I guess I'll say, in Chris <laughs> Boucher's stories. Right. Um. So, and and even then, like a lot of, Avon's grandstanding, I guess you could say, in this is due to Paul Darrow's acting rather than the script. But I don't know. I just right. feel like things would have been toned down a little bit, maybe, if Terry wrote it. I agree with you. I think that's pretty much how the story would go. I do think that the plot, I think a lot of the elements of this are very Terry Nation-esque and really wouldn't be that different. Robert! <laughs> I, think, I think Bob Holmes writes one more story. I think he writes Orbit, if I remember correctly. Hmm. I mean, that's that's interesting, actually. Blake 7 is, like, really on this cusp of, like, you know, you get these sort of very old-school writers like Terry Nation and Rob Holmes. Mm-hmm. But then you also have ones, their stories, like, especially Chris Boucher's stories, that feel like a lot, feel a lot more similar to, like, modern shows. Yeah, Chris Boucher, uh, I think Alan Pryor, too. Yeah, Alan Pryor, for sure. Ben Steed to an extent. I think Ben Steed's just off in his own corner and doing his own Ben Steed things. <laughs> Uh, can you imagine if Ben Steed had written an episode of Doctor Who or serial for Doctor Who? Yeah, I can. 
Are you imagining something that Pippin Jane Baker wrote, but way more misogynistic? Because that's kind of what I imagined. I guess. Pippin sure. Jane Baker was supposed to write an episode of Blake Seven. Yeah, they? they were. There was, and it got further than just like they were supposed to do it. There was, I, I think, think actual they wrote, drafts. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. I had high hopes for the story when I saw it was written by Robert Holmes because he's written some of the best classic Doctor Who stories yep. anyway. Uh, and I War think games. I was just yeah. kind of let down, really. Yeah. Which is a bummer, but it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, it is okay. I have nothing else to say. Yep, that's it from me. All right, so we have uh, two emails, uh, three sort of, but two of them are from the same person and they're both rather short, so we're going to combine them. And then also... Two comments from the same person to respond to this week. Uh, so we have an email from RG. We have an email from our Danish correspondent who signed his email this time so I can reveal his name. is I think it's pronounced Jürgen, but if I pronounce that wrong, email me <laughs> and correct me. But I'm pretty sure based on my rudimentary knowledge of Afrikaans that that's how you would say it. And then we also have two short comments on the website from David to respond to. So... I will start with this email from RG. Read this after you've watched Trader. <laughs> if you want an episode that you should rewatch, I suggest Gambit. Most fans love that one, and I think my talk about the bar fight ruined it for you. <laughs> Hi, Zenith Helots. I really think the story should have been called, quote, all you can eat, unquote, because there are so many scenes where people are munching and slurping away. After Delinus Barber joined the team, there were three young people in the cast. They spent so much time mucking around and giggling on the flight deck that they were told if they didn't start, they'd be split up. That is evident in this story where Josette, Stephen, and Glynis aren't sitting next to each other. <laughs> By the way, Dylan, Glynis probably barracked for the spring box when she was younger. If you don't understand what that comment means now, I'm going to give you a little flash forward. <laughs> Jürgen reveals in one of his emails that Glynis Barber is actually British South African and the Springboks by the way if you didn't know are the rugby team in South Africa the national rugby team. Right. I actually knew that she was of South African descent but I didn't like I don't know why I didn't mention it. I just forgot, I guess. Probably just forgot. The Supreme Empress looks remarkably like Serverland. Stunt people really earn the keep dramatically falling off bits of the rock quarry in this episode. Forbis is how someone would fancy dress as Davros if they ran out of time. <laughs> we find out that Slear is Serverland and she's killed 26 people. Blake Seven couldn't even keep Slear's identity a secret for one full episode <laughs> a week. I like that Blake's crew now can't just fly away from problems in their super fast liberator. They have to think of more interesting solutions. I give it a week. <laughs> I don't know if you picked this up, but the new Blake 7 logo at the end is also missing the apostrophe. Yeah, I did notice that. As soon as it showed up, I noticed that. And here's here's why well, I'm not I'm not too bothered by it, but like apostrophes are to indicate and a lot of people don't know this now surprisingly, but apostrophes are to indicate a missing S, so like back in the day, I guess, of like old and middle English to make something plural or to make it possessive, either mm -hmm. one, because there's no difference in spelling back then mm -hmm. or punctuation, uh, you would just add ES, um, kind of like you do in Spanish. Mm -hmm. But eventually people just decided to drop the E in the so apostrophe. Whenever you see an apostrophe now, it stands for a missing E. Well, I so mean, like that's you, actually interesting because like apostrophe and like every other word stands for a missing letter, like don't, it stands for an O, yeah. do not, yep. won't. Won't is weird because it's will not, but yeah, it's... Yeah, but no, yeah. You get the point. I, I am becomes I'm. So that's actually interesting. I was always wondering why that apostrophe didn't stand for something, but I guess it does. It stands for missing E. I mean, not really anymore, because if now, <laughs> if you were like, if you were an, like an elementary school kid and you were to write like an ES instead of apostrophe S, you'd be like, no, that's wrong, you know? And also David's would become like David's or something. <laughs> But also, like, you wonder, if, would this be, like, Blakey's 7? Like, Blake ES 7, you know? Well, <laughs> Probably that, not. I don't know. You'd have to, like, read up on the old school grammar for yeah. that. Because that's the other thing is, like, making something possessive, if it ends in an S, requires actually still adding ES, I think. And, I mean, look, also the thing is, like before... James is, I think, is James ES. Rather than I, I mean, it depends what I don't know. style you know you're what? writing I, uh, Whatever, but, I don't but know. But also, like, before, the, really, the 18th century... There were no spelling, grammar, or rules? punctuation rule. I don't think there were grammar rules. There were really no spelling or punctuation rules in English. So, yeah. <laughs> English <laughs> is kind dumb. Of, it does kind of, it stood out to me and kind of bothered me that there was no apostrophe, though. But I think from a design standpoint, no apostrophe looks better. Sure. It yeah. looks cleaner, I guess. Yeah. That's my point. Probably. 
Dana and Tant went down to the planet this episode. Did you find that more interesting than in Volcano now that you know them both a bit better? Yes. Yep, I did. Another I did. reason for me to rewatch Volcano, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Although in Volcano, you know, the characters weren't really fleshed out, so it's like... True. 2D pieces of cardboard talking to each other, really, at that point. Down the safe and still a bit sulky, RG. Don't know why you're sulking. Maybe because you feel like you ruined Gambit for us, but I really don't think that you did. Maybe we should rewatch Gambit. Special limited <laughs> limited edition? Why would it be limited? Special edition of, of Zenith, where we, 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 we... Bloody hell, I'm so done. Rewatch Gambit. <laughs> The Supreme Empress does look a lot like Servalan. Wow. And they couldn't keep Slayer's identity a secret. Like we, like I said in the Terry Nation segment, I think that Terry Nation wouldn't have even tried to keep it a secret. It would have just been like, boom, Servalan. <laughs> that could have been cool, though, is like have Slayer be a recurring behind-the-scenes villain for like three or four episodes, and then bam, she's Servalan. Oh, if they'd gone the complete opposite direction, where yep. instead of revealing it in this episode, it's Slayer, 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 boom, Servalan. Yep. I or maybe that, that like, an end-of-season like reveal, like a finale-type thing, like Slayer was Servalan all along. I think I think that could have worked. Yeah. I think so, actually. What if Slayer was like Blake all along? <laughs> boom, Blake. <laughs> or Travis, boom, survived his fall down <laughs> That spinning vortex of death. <laughs> spinning vortex is um, redundant. redundant. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for emailing us, Archie. Now we have uh, these two emails from Jürgen. Hey again, guys. You have so much fun doing the podcast and always point out stuff I never noticed myself. Keep up the good work. Have reached the web now. Signed Jürgen. Yeah. The web was one of my favorite yeah, episodes web from was Series a, good one. a, if I remember correctly. And then he sends a second email, same day. I think this was an hour and a half later, our 15 minutes. How funny, of uh, one of you guys is from SA, meaning South Africa. Fun fact, the international two-letter abbreviation code for South Africa yeah. is actually ZA because SA is taken by Saudi Arabia. <laughs> so they use ZA. Uh, and that actually comes from, I believe, I believe in Afrikaans, the word for South starts with a Z, I believe. Anyway, that was just a side note that I wanted to point out. Was wondering, it didn't sound like a British accent. My partner is from Joburg too. Glynis Barber is British South African, by the way. Her original surname is Afrikaans Dutch. Uh, that I know I will butcher, but I'm going to try it anyway. Vanderweet? I don't actually know how to say that, that word. I don't actually know a lot of Afrikaans because I left the year before I would have started learning Afrikaans in elementary school. So... Huh. You learn, like a you mandatory learn, thing. Yeah, like you learn Afrikaans in. starting in second grade. At least in the, at the private school I went to, you started learning in second grade. And I left at the end of first grade. So, huh. And then I, at the private school I went to anyway, you learn Afrikaans from second grade all the way up to, um, I think, or we call it grade two there, up to grade, I think till you ended what we consider high school, so like grade 10 and 11. Huh. Well, yeah, it's a long uh, Period. So, yeah, like a lot of people, at least coming out of the private school I went to, were fluent in Afrikaans, you know, by the time you leave. Right. <clears throat> so, and I think there's actually, this is a little bit of a digression before we get into the final comment. I think there is actually a, there has been, there have been studies that have shown that if you learn a second language when you're younger, it improves your learning ability in, in basically every field. Huh. Uh, it, yeah, there's like this this interesting thing where if you learn a second language, it like makes your brain slightly more, I guess, adaptable to learning new things. Well, because, I mean, this is getting into linguistic theory a little bit, but not too much. I mean, a, one language is one like framework to look at the world by, right? right? Lang there's, there are some things that languages, there's some things exist in one language that another language can't even express or can't even like think about in a way. Mm -hmm. But yeah. And then, so we do have some short comments from David, also to read. Power could be referring to a lot of things. Actually responding to my call for what the hell does power mean? <laughs> power between the sexes or obtaining power like Pella wanting the Scorpio for herself. Or more likely, Ben Steed is not very good at writing science fiction. <laughs> this episode sucks, but it is good compared to the upcoming episode, Animals. 
Animals. Oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> Just how old is Dana by this point in the series timeline? 22, 23? And how old is Justin? Like in his 40s? Does Justin like his woman to be young on the young side? Animals was originally written with Callie in mind, and the episode makes more sense that way. But with Dana, it makes oh, Justin boy. out to be a pervert. <laughs> by the way, thanks for reading out my comments. Well, you have certainly provided <laughs> quite the teaser there. <laughs> When we're recording this this response to your comment, we are one week away from watching Animals, so... <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Can't say that I'm actually looking forward to it now. <laughs> like, in a weird, kind of morbid way. We have a, a second... weird way where you just want to watch the car crash, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, the... I, I'm surprised I've never mentioned this on the show, but there was this crazy tycoon back in the day in Texas who decided that people just really wanted to watch train crashes so he decided to intentionally buy two trains <laughs> crash them into each other full speed and people were watching by the way bad idea bunch of people died I think it's called like the great Texas take yeah. train crash or something yeah I was gonna say like did anyone die yes they did <laughs> anyway <laughs> Second comment, when Moloch revealed himself, everybody started laughing in the studio and had to come back the following week to finish the scene without the stupid puppet. Another thing Star Trek borrowed from Blake 7, or was it just coincidence, was food replicators. I actually don't think that was coincidence because I don't think food replicators were on the original series, but they were on Next Generation. What's weird is a lot of these early science fiction, a lot of early science fiction TV, because in terms of writing science fiction is at least a little older or as it was known as science fiction but like you think of these early science fiction TV shows even animation like the Jetsons mm-hmm. are like kind of obsessed with like food as little pills or bars or like thing like machines that dispense food even yeah, Doctor, even Who, Doctor did Who did it yeah. with the food machine yep yeah I mean I don't believe food replicators were mentioned on the original series of Star Trek. What's interesting is that they are like explicitly non-existent in Enterprise, which is set pre-original series. I don't remember a lot of my Star Trek lore, so that might be that they might not have even been invented at the time of the original series. I don't remember. (laughs) But Out of Universe, probably something that someone on The Next Generation was a little bit inspired by. I mean, there's a lot of sharing and Caring. Sharing and caring <laughs> and stealing and borrowing between science fiction series, I think, in this time. And I think still today, yeah. even, there's a lot of inspiration, I guess you could call it, being shared. But anyway, thank you for reaching out to us, David. And also, thank you for emailing us, uh, Jürgen. Again, if I'm saying your name wrong, please let me know. I would feel really bad, but it would not be the first time. <laughs> Like that time that I thought that RG was a man. <laughs> so thank you for emailing us. All of you, thank you for reaching out. Yeah, thank you. If you would like to email us, you can reach us at thedoctordecadivegetable.com. Questions, comments, concerns, angry rants, love letters, your thoughts on Trader. Were we just missing something yeah, that made you love it? Did we miss the mark completely? I don't know if we did. I don't we think might we have. did. Until someone calls us out on like missing big things in this episode that make it better than than I thought it was. I mean, possibly. Someone could convince us that it's it's pretty good. I mean, it's happened before. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Google Play at Zena the Blake Seven Podcast. Be sure to leave a rating if you like the show. You can find us on YouTube at Decorative Vegetable. Check us out on Facebook, trust your doctor, like us on Facebook, also check us out on Twitter at TYD Podcast and follow us on Twitter. And next time we're watching Star Drive. But until then, the end. <laughs>